0: Wow, you know what I found up here? Pastor Ross's Bible. I know. I'm going, wow. And it says in here, it has a little note from Paul. It was handed down from Paul to Pastor Ross, I think. Right? So I'm going to keep that one. He actually has the same one, uh, similar to me. Anyway. You guys ready to get started and take a look at the word tonight? All right. Hey, I just want to say I'm glad to be here with you. And as a fellow, I don't even know what, person on the journey of the Christian life, we're here together. We're going to look at some of the scripture and we're going to learn from each other. How about that? Is that a that sound like a good deal? All right. But before I get started, before we turn to the passage here, and by the way, I told somebody what passage we're gonna go into, and they said, well, you're not going in the Old Testament. That's what we do on Wednesday nights. (laughs) So let me say right up front, I'm sorry. (laughs) We're going into the New Testament, I'm sorry. But before we do, how many of you um, have ever seen the show Property Wars on the Discovery Channel? All right. Property wars I I I don't know why but I enjoy watching it when I happen to turn it on and it's about these five or six different groups of guys that are bidding on houses in Phoenix, Arizona and all they can do is Walk up to the front of the house and look at the house and kind of snoop around and figure out if this is a house worth buying They can't go in All they can do is look at the outside and so they're trying to look for clues to see if this is a good house or possibly a junker house. So then they start the bidding and eventually somebody wins. The the characters on this show are pretty quirky. Um, But the part I like is after they win, then somebody drives up with the keys and these guys go and unlock the front door for the first time and they open the door and you look at their face and there's a commercial <laughs> and then they come back from the commercial and they show these guys and either they're ecstatic yeah I just bought a great house I can flip this make all kinds of money or they look at the front room and they say oh and you look at it, it's a disaster floors torn up walls got holes in them no paint drapes or windows are broken <laughs> And then they do this thing on property wards where they end up walking down the hall and one by one they go into the rooms. And each room is a surprise. And most of the time, those rooms are just a wreck, a mess. And they've got mold, they've got paint chipping off, and it's from room to room, and you just see their expressions and you see their reactions. And I can't help but think when I look at and watch that show and think about that show, um, that that's kind of like it, what it is with the Christian life for us. That when we come to know and our, and, we, and our eyes are open to the truth and we hear God calling us to himself and we accept Jesus into our lives and we say, yes, I want you to take control of my life. I know you died for me and you rose again on my behalf and I give you my life. He bought me back. He bought me like the house. And then he begins the work of going door to door and room to room in my house. Does that sound familiar? Okay. Well, as he goes room to room in our houses, it gets a little uncomfortable. And some of us just kind of shut the doors, lock the doors, and say, yeah, just don't go in that room. Don't go in that room. Don't go in that room. You can go in these rooms but don't go in that room. But the reality is, when we become a Christian, God says that I, you know, Jesus said, I have begun a good work in you, and I will perfect it. Okay? So, What we have to realize tonight as fellow journeymen on this path is that God's in the business of going into the rooms of our lives, into our heart, into the deepest room, and he wants to fix it up. He wants to heal it up. He wants to take all that old moldy stuff that's been there for years and clean it up and heal us. Because he doesn't want us to be stuck He doesn't want that room back there to create all kinds of problems for our own lives, for our families, for our work, and everything else. He wants to go through, period, and he's gonna do it steadily, but he's gonna do it gently. And he's going in there to really do a lot of healing and fixing up, right? So, how do we participate with God? How do we work with him in this process? Well we're gonna take a look at a passage in John where where we're gonna look at a healing that happened in John and then we're gonna just kinda discuss some things we we glean from this passage and see if they apply to what God's doing in our lives and what he intends to do in our lives. So if you turn your Bibles to John chapter five, we're gonna look at a passage there and we're gonna start with verse one and it's called the healing at the pool and it's a very familiar passage of scripture Um, but I think there's some real nuggets in there and some real truths and principles that we can use and we can apply as God's, as we're in this combined effort with God to to clean up those areas of our life and to heal up those areas of our life. And so let's take a look at this particular passage in John five, and if you'll just read along with me, I'll start there at verse one. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and learned, and NIV says learned, but the, other, uh, the actual word there is knew that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk, and at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Now you're probably looking at that and you're saying, okay, paral- paralytic man, I, I, I'm not seeing the connection here. Well, as we unpack this a little bit, I think we will. The first thing that I think we need to we need to look at as we look at this passage is we need to realize that, and, and this is just a reminder for us that in the midst of our in the midst of our our brokenness, in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of those areas in our life that are still kind of stuck and paralyzed for us, that God sees us. Look Look at verse, verse six, when Jesus saw him, saw him lying there and knew and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? You see, Jesus sees us and again, he he can look right into our lives, and he sees our condition, and he knows exactly what our rooms look like, and he knows exactly where the stuck part of our hearts are, and he sees us, and he sees, he doesn't see us just in one time frame. He actually sees us from the moment we were born until eternity, and he sees the whole picture, and he sees us and he really cares about us and he loves us. It says, actually in Psalm 139, it says, you created You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that fit full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret places, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to being. I think the first thing we gotta realize is that when it comes to those areas of our life that need work, and by the way, all of us need work. All of us need help. All of us have those pockets in our life that are broken, that are paralyzed, that need some healing. We're like at the pool with this guy, right? This is not just a story back then. This is, this is, you know, you've heard it said the church is the hospital. Well, I call the church the pool. This is the pool where we've all gathered together, and we're asking God to come in and to heal us and to make us whole and to grow us up, and to mature us, and begin and and finish that good work that he began in us when we accepted Christ. And the first part of that is that he sees right down, right through the roof, right into our hearts, and knows exactly what's going on. Isn't that comforting to know that? To be reminded of that again, that he sees? Because I'm gonna tell you, a lot of the damage in the areas of our heart and the rooms of our heart comes because we grew up in homes where we weren't seen very much. Some of us weren't seen. Does that make sense? It means we were kind of, uh, and and believe me, I do pastoral counseling, Terry and I do matters of the heart, work with married couples, and it isn't a week goes by that somebody doesn't come to me and say, Alan, in my home, parents were great, but I felt invisible. I felt invisible. No matter what I did or didn't do, I was invisible. What kind of pain, what kind of brokenness does that create in the back room of someone's heart? Oh, all kinds, okay? So he sees us. He knows us is the second part of that. It says it right there. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been in this condition for a long time, so this evening, he knows us. You have searched me, Lord, you know me. Psalm 139. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going in and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before there's a word on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to to attain. So not only does he see us, he knows us, and he knows how long we've been sitting by the pool in this paralyzed condition. I know people can't get on airplanes. I know people who are so depressed they can't even hardly go out. I know people who are wracked by just control and fear and anxiety, and they don't know why and they're paralyzed. Certain parts of their life, they're paralyzed, and they can't do it, and you know, the interesting thing is that, you know, as a Christian, we can do all the praying and all the scripture reading and all of the fellowship and together, which I believe is, is a huge part of, of, our, of our growth and our maturity, but sometimes we hit up against walls, and there's deeper parts in our heart that God wants to get to, and he knows about those deeper parts. And right, you now tonight, he's looking at you and me, and he knows mine, and I, I, I'm not gonna tell you what mine are right now, but he knows yours, and he knows you're struggling, and he doesn't want you to struggle. He wants to come in and heal you. So what does he do next? He comes near to the guy. And, and I kind of break apart the verses a little bit because it kind of goes pretty fast here, but I imagine Jesus walking into this pool with all these people He begins to laser focus on one guy. He sees him, he knows him, and you know why he picks out that one guy? The Bible tells us that God works with people who are open and humble and contrite, and this man had a measure of openness and willingness and preparedness is my my guess on it. We don't know, but you're here because you have openness. You're here because you want God's best for your life, right? So we're all like that guy at the pool. We're saying, yeah. And Jesus comes in, sees, knows all about him, then walks right up next to him, is my picture. Walks right up next to him. You can imagine what the guy's feeling, right, at that point. Whoa, this is Jesus. And I'm sure there's power. And I'm sure there's love. And you know, I read something interesting. That love is like a magnet that draws out all the metal slivers of trauma and hurt and pain in our life that have been there for years. That's why we have difficulty in intimate relationships because <laughs> marriages clashing because both, that's love. And, and, and all these parts of us that go, well, you know, I never felt this way till I married them. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> that's the program. That's the way it works. Love draws out this stuff from our heart that's deep in that God wants these rooms and these areas and this mold and this stuff that's been there for years that we've been traumatized by or hurt by, the pain in our life. And so he walks up to the next to this guy and this guy is just like, oh, I feel good, I feel excited, but yet I'm feeling very nervous. And in that, in that moment, before he says what he says, and we'll get into that in just a second, he, he's, he's sitting there thinking, and he's going, you know, I am paralyzed right now, but because he's coming up next to me, I'm realizing there's some other stuff in my life. There's some stuff in my heart that's going on, because the truth is, Jesus' love is not always about what is visible. Usually, throughout the scriptures, we know that what he's after is our hearts, Right? He's after our hearts. And in fact, if you look at this passage, go down a little bit. Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So he basically said there's some brokenness and there's some things in your heart that are off. And it's probably, you know, and, and believe me, when we're talking about sin, we're talking about imperfection. We're talking about stuff that people has, have done to us and stuff that we've done in response. It's, it's sin, it misses the mark is what the Bible says. It's not God's best, we're not whole. And so internally, this guy, is not, and Jesus is not so much concerned about his physical as more con, he's more concerned about what's going on in the heart, in the rooms of his heart that he's gotta deal with. So that's his love that he's coming after. Then, then Jesus says, and I want us to camp here for a while. What is the word that Jesus says? What is his phrase that he says right after this? He gives a challenge. Once he loves us, once he comes in and he really shows us that he knows us, he sees us, he cares about us, he loves us, he saddles up next to us, he calls our, whispers our name and says, Alan. Then he says, Alan, do you want to get well? Mary, do you want to get well? Well. John, do you wanna get well? Do you wanna get well? Think about that phrase, just for a second. Penetrates right into the heart of this guy and says, you know what, I need to know. Do you want to get well? You need to check your heart right now. Are you sure that the pain and the discomfort is bad enough for you right now that you want to do something different. I think that's what he's saying in that, want to get well. You know, you often hear about people who have to hit bottom before they turn and life and things change. I think it's true. And I think that's what he's asking this guy. Is the discomfort of you being right here in this place and in this situation uncomfortable enough that you're going to be serious with me and say, yes, I wanna get well. He also says to him in that phrase, in that loaded full phrase, do you want to get well, do you actually wanna change? Do you want things to be new? Do you actually want to be a different life? Now, think about this, and I've dealt with enough people to know that some of us are kinda comfortable in allowing things, you know, maybe our addiction, or our depression, or our anxiety, or our control, or our jealousy, we're either comfortable in it, or we've minimized it, or we've rationalized it. And Jesus is saying to him, and he's saying to us, "Do you, do you want to get well? That means I'm, I'm ready. I'm here, and I want to put you on a path of wellness." and wholeness, and holiness, but guess what, you gotta want it. I'm not gonna do it if you don't want it. Do you want it? Do you really wanna stand up and change your life? And the third part of that rich and full phrase is not only you know, are you in enough pain and do you wanna be whole, but the third part of that is are you willing to accept some of the pain that's gonna go along with changing? Now, now we, know, we know this, right? I mean, if there's gonna be real change in our life, we gotta hit bottom, we gotta to wanna to got to to get out of what, it's gotta be so uncomfortable, and we gotta be willing to, the new life, that means, oh man, I'm gonna to have to be nicer to my wife you mean I'm gonna to have to be more generous? You mean I'm gonna to have to be more loving? You mean I'm gonna to have to be not such a cranky old stick in the mud? That, and that there's gonna be pain involved? How many of you watch The Biggest Loser? Okay, Biggest Loser. Here's these guys, and I don't think they know how much pain they're gonna go through, do they? When they sign up for that stuff? Because some of them are looking like they're just ready to shoot that trainer and they're ready to just bolt out of there, and I think some of them do, but it's, the, it's change is pain. Change is pain. Are you willing to let go? Here's, here's what 1 Peter says about the Christian life. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Have to be any clearer than that? Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. That's our purpose in life. Guess what? We're not in this life to have a happy happy life. I hear that all the time. Oh, I just wanna be happy. I just wanna be happy. And I'm not saying there's anything totally wrong with that, but at the same time, it's kinda missing the boat that this life is a journey. This life is about God rebuilding us and reshaping us and remolding us and digging down deep into our hearts and changing us, and that's pain. So therefore, since Christ and because our leader has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So there's a great dynamic and most of us know this, that in the midst of pain is where our greatest growth happens, right? You gotta get in there. It's the way surgery is. In order to get in there and fix that problem inside of us, you you gotta cut you open, you gotta, you know, Put some organs around and get in there and pull out the bad stuff. Sorry about being so descriptive, but, uh, but really, that phrase, and I bet if, if, you, if you think about it tonight as you go home, do you want to get well? You'll probably come up with some more ideas of what, does, what did Jesus really mean when he said, do you want to get whole? Do you want to get well? Those are the ones I came up. <laughs> it's interesting, too, because in Matthew 20, See, I love the fact that Jesus asks us questions because questions aren't telling us. Questions make us dig deep, don't they? Questions challenge us. Questions make us uneasy. In Matthew 20, Jesus' disciples were leaving Jericho. A large crowd followed them. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped. He called to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Boom, again, he asks the same question. What do you want? And the question for you tonight, not only is do you want to get healed and helped, but what do you want ultimately in life? Where, do you, where are you going? Where am I going? What am I really shooting for in life? What's my purpose? What's my direction? What, what is it? Is it along the, the lines of God's plan to, to become conform to the image of his son, like the Bible says? Or is it, you know, I'd like, kind of like to win the lotto, by the way, you know? i kind of like to have that vacation home and a good retirement and all that. That's what I'm really shooting for and the internal work goes by the wayside. See, I think all of us are called to internal work. All of us are called to grow. All of us are called to continual healing and changing. And so many times, I'm gonna tell you this, in our marriage intensives and matters of the heart, we have two couples, one of them is motivated to change, the other one says, well, in one sense or another, you know, I'm kinda happy with where I'm at. I'm okay with where I'm at. I don't really need to to change. Even though my wife is dying over here, even though my kids are dying over there, I'm gonna continue working 67 hours a week. I'm gonna continue doing the hobbies that I have. I'm gonna continue with my motorcycle, and I'm not (coughs) pointing any fingers, believe me, okay? I want a motorcycle badly, but. (laughs) But anyway, I'm just saying, I'm just throwing out examples, guys, okay? We're just saying that people, God has called us to growth. God has called us to move forward. But you know what we are? We're just, it's funny, because right when he's in the midst of this challenge, what does the guy say to him in verse seven? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. There's no one that'll help me. My pastor won't help me. I came to that counselor, he wouldn't help me. My friends all turned their backs on me. Nobody will help me. I reach out to all these people, and I'm not gonna say that's okay, but I'm gonna say, people are gonna let us down. Are you gonna give up? Are we gonna be like Adam and Eve in Genesis? Well, it wasn't me, God. (laughs) And then Eve's over here, it wasn't me, right? I'll tell you, we inherited that gene, that blame gene. Listen to yourself uh, during the week, how many times you blame, okay? You blame people, you know? Oh man, that guy cut me off again. Can't believe it, he can't even drive. You know, we blame the person. And then he goes on after he blames the person, he blames the circumstances. Well, while I'm I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me and gets in the pool. So, I mean, he works through, and I I love it because Jesus is patient. When he's challenging us and when he's moving us forward in our walk, we're gonna come up with all kinds of excuses and all kinds of, you know, well, Moses, I want you to go and free the Israelites. What did Moses do? Oh, well, you can't talk. I can't, you know, uh, you know I don't have the right clothes. You know, how am I going to do this? Excuse, but, but Jesus and God sit there with us in the midst of this and say, go ahead, long as you need. Tell me all the excuses. I'm okay with that. Just get them out. Let's get them out. Come on. Keep telling me. You finished? You ready to move on? Okay. So that's what he does right here with this guy. Okay, keep coming, and he does that with us. I mean, you can look at different places in the Bible where you know God's working with someone, and you know, doubting Thomas, and he's got all kinds. Unless I see, you know, and 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 that's what I love is that we're talking real people, real situations, and we can relate to them, right? I'm full of excuses at times. You know, and I'm glad I've got people around me that say, Alan, uh, not anybody in particular, but uh, (laughs) my wife and my daughter are in the audience, but I won't point them out. Okay. So after he works through that, I I have to tell you a funny story too, because when it comes to blaming, it's, uh, this guy goes to the, um, goes to the auto mechanics and he says, man, I got a clunking sound on the back of my car, and I can't figure it out, and it's driving me crazy. So this guy, mechanic says, just leave it with me. I'll check it out. We'll figure it out. Leaves it there. Spends two hours. The guy comes back after two hours. The mechanic says, I can't find anything wrong with this car. This car's in immaculate shape. And the guy says, oh, okay. Drives it around the block. Sure enough, there's the clunking sound. Comes back, pulls up, says, I still hear the clunking sound. Guy says, oh, okay, come on back here they open the trunk up, there's a bowling ball rolling around in the back of the trunk. You know, it's funny how things in our life are rolling around and stirring up and causing noise and problems, and we just wanna blame somebody else or something else. So, after he gets through all his questions and all his responses back to, to Jesus, then Jesus says it's time I've loved you, I've come over here, and I've said I loved you, I called you, I've challenged you, and now I'm gonna lead you. I'm gonna lead you forward. And the first thing I want you to do is I want you to get up. Get up. And that word, get up, is really a word that is used in other places as wake up, okay? Which is kinda interesting to me as I kinda searched it around, wake up. That means, come out of the fog. Come out of the delusion. Come out of the perceptions that are keeping you stuck. Okay, it's actually used in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. The one that went away, he says in the, um, in the prodigal son, in Luke 15, 11, when the prodigal came to his senses, He said, how many of my father's men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. He came to his senses. He awoke. He awoke out of the stupor. And I'm gonna tell you, that happens to all of us. When we're dealing with those deep dark secrets in our life and those deep dark stuck places, it's like God's gotta shake us and slap us and eventually turn the light on and, and spend a long time just waking us up and saying get up, it's time to get up. Life's gonna be different. I remember when I was a kid, I had a paper route. And in this paper route, I, I, I struggled, I mean it was like four in the morning, I struggled with getting up in the morning, and getting my head cleared and all that kind of stuff. So I learned this trick that when the alarm clock went off, I just immediately jumped out of bed and onto my feet. And I still do it to this day. Bothers my wife. (laughs) But but it's the thing where you jump up, you stand up, and you wait for your head to clear, and all of a sudden, okay, now, if I laid there, I would find all kinds of reasons to stay there, right? So the first thing Jesus says to this guy is get up. Wake up! Stand up! It's time to stand up! Come on! Fortunately, this guy did it. Sometimes we don't do it when Jesus is calling us, right? Well, no, I don't think I want to get up right now, Jesus. Can you come back a little later? Can you come back a little later? And then I'll, I'll get up. The second thing he says in this passage, after he says, get up, he says, pick up your mat. And this is an important part of the healing process of the reclamation process that God's doing in our life, of the restoration process, of the rebuilding process. Pick up your mat. Think about that mat for a second for this this guy. 30 some odd years, I think one of the texts tells us he's been sitting there. He has his mat, same place. Same place in the mat. And I'll bet you after all those years, some people have died, right? So he scrooched his mat up. I'll bet you after 30 some odd years, he's in a pretty prime position, wouldn't you say? (laughs) I think he's right up in the front, okay? So this mat is an indicator of some good things of his former life. This is something he's relied on for a long, long time. This is what the Bible calls an idol. This is a mat for him. What's it for us? What's the mat in our life that we, I don't know, Jesus, you're asking me to take that up? That's been 30 years, that thing served, my, served me well. I don't think I want to pick that thing up. And he's calling us, he's, he leads us to pick it up, to take it up, to, to cut loose of that mat, the coping mechanism, the crutch that we rely on, like I said before, the idol this week, I had kind of an interesting moment in my own life. I was in, my ca- I was in the uh, kitchen in our cabinets, and um, as I'm looking through the cabinet, I notice these barbecued potato chips. Nice bag of barbecued potato chips. How many, I like barbecued potato chips. And I'm having a real battle with these barbecued potato chips. And I'm sitting here and I'm walk, I walk over to throw, no, nope. I come back. because i I'm trying to eat better and these things are getting in my way. Everybody else, you can eat desserts, go ahead. But I need my barbecued potato chips. This is my crutch. This is my mat. This is what I rely on. And the more I thought about it, and the more I went back about 20 times between the garbage can and coming back and putting it back up. I started thinking, it's like the light went off. You know, Alan, when you were a little boy, eight, nine years old, you used to come home from school, and your mom was passed out on the couch, and you had to walk real quietly through the house, and if you made any kind of noise, she would yell at you, and all, the best you could do is go into the cabinet and pull out barbecued potato chips, and go to your room and eat your barbecued potato chips. And it brought tears to my eyes. I said, This was what I did to comfort myself as a little boy. This is what I used in a tough situation. And I know in a room like this, you guys have been through tough situations in your life. And there's things that you're grabbing onto, that you're holding onto, your mat, that Jesus really wants you to take up. He really wants you to take up, and He wants you to get rid of it because there's growth, and there's change, and there's healing if you're willing to do that, to take up that mat and remove it. The Bible says I, in John 15, I'm the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, guess what he does to it? He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So he's in the process of continually chopping, Die and therefore offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Again, the whole pain concept. We're shedding the old and we're bringing on the new. But we've got to be doing it willingly. We've got to work with him and allow him to cut away those things and, and, and take up our mats and carry them. And the last thing he tells this guy here at the, at the pool, he says, now that you've you got up, you've picked up your mat, and you've dealt with that in your life, and you know what that means, and you know what, taking it up, and somebody else probably slid right in there, right after him. He lost his space. No way to go back. That's an important concept, isn't it? Sometimes, let's, let's take up things and not, so that we can't go back. Because we're moving forward. And then he says to him, I want you to walk. Now it's time to Walk. You've dealt with your motivation, what do you want? You've dealt through all those, do you wanna get well? You've got up, you've taken up your mat, now it's time to walk. Now it's time to move forward. Now it's time to move in a new direction. And you know, the Bible says, when I look up, you know, when you think of the word walk, there's a lot of different passages, but the one I like is walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit is what the Bible tells us. We're not to walk alone. The Spirit is there to help us, to guide us, to encourage us, to support us all the way along, and he uses other people to brace us up. The picture that comes to my mind is a number of years ago, my dad was sitting in a hospital room, and he just had both of his knees replaced. And the doctor said to him, it's time to get up and walk. And there was a nurse on one side and a nurse on the other and he had crutches and he got up and you could just see this whole thing playing out just like this. He has the Holy Spirit on both sides helping him as he walks this new walk with new knees. Do I trust these new knees? Do I trust this new direction? And he goes one step at a time walk by the spirit and guess what in the christian life when jesus says walk he says guess what we're not going backward anymore the israelites i like those onions back in egypt can i go back to those onions no you can't go forward you're going forward right and so when we're walking we're always going forward and things are changing and some of us don't like change i sat in the mountains two weeks ago And I told my wife, I said, I love this moment. Is there any way that we can put it on hold for as long as I want to absorb this moment? There's no way. Life keeps going on, right? Keeps marching forward. And when Jesus grabs a hold of us, and if you're gonna walk the Christian life, guess what? You're gonna walk forward. And you're gonna walk in a new way every single day. You're gonna continually walk in a new way This week, funny how every time I do a message, the message is me. Okay, it always happens to me. I went to Subway, and does everybody know it's uh, it's (laughs) September? It is. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's five dollars. September. So, September is $5 sandwiches. So I go in there, I'm all excited because I like to go to Subway anyway and I like inexpensive things. And so I order this, I say, oh, all the sa- yeah, yeah, all the sandwiches. okay, I'll take that turkey, avocado and bacon one. And they begin to make it and I said, oh, can you, trans- can you trans- transfer out the bacon and put something else in there for me? Oh yeah, but that'll cost you. Oh, well then I don't want it, put the bacon in there, okay. Leave it, leave it, because I just want the $5 deal. So they moved down and I'm talking to them and we're talking. And then the lady rings me up and she rings me up for a higher price and she says, Oh, that's extra meat. And I said, No, I didn't put the extra meat on. And we got into this tussle back and forth over this sandwich. And I was offended. I mean, I wanted my five-dollar, and they told me that all the sandwiches except the turkey, bacon, and avocado was five dollars. <laughs> So then I, you know, do I go quietly away? No, I start going, well, why didn't you tell me that at the beginning? You should have put it up there, Blah, 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 blah. And I'm all steamed and I'm all offended and my entitlement is so, you know, offended, selfish entitlement, I walk outside, I get in the car and I drive away and finally get somewhere, open up my sandwich, there's no avocado in it. There's no avocado in my sandwich. And God says, bingo, Alan. He does that to me all the time. He says, you know what, Alan? It's not about the avocado. It's not about the sandwich. It's about your heart. It's about what's going on in your heart, and there's another area that I want to heal. There's another part of your heart that I want to make well. Okay? And it's another part that's keeping me somewhat paralyzed in my life. And I just have to let go and say, okay, Lord, I understand. I understand what you're doing in my life. You're in the business of changing me. I'm just glad you love me, you see me, you know me, and you're willing to stand up next to me and hold me tight and challenge me and lead me and I can get healing and my life can change. And I don't have to keep beating myself up or beating other people up in my life and controlling situations and being hooked on the internet or, you know, have all these different things. You want to free me from these things, but I've got to participate with that. And that's what he showed us through this passage here in the scripture. So tonight, as you think through that, just say in your own quiet heart, say, Lord, you know, the room in my heart that I think you're knocking on right now is this. Write it down somewhere. Write it down somewhere. Maybe share it with someone. Because my guess is, we're all at the pool, guys. We're all sitting around the pool with some area of our life that needs some healing and some restoration and some rebuilding. And so with that, let's pray together. Father, thank you that we as a as a group of your followers, can look into your word. And I know this doesn't lend itself to dialogue, but I can just see it in everybody's faces, that that people are getting touched by different things in this passage, and you've brought us together to to sharpen one another and to grow with each other, and your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, and it pierces through flesh down to the joints and the marrow, down to the heart, And that's what you're about, Lord. It's changing our hearts. And I thank you for that. You do it gently, lovingly, and you lead us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I thank you for that promise. And thank you for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.